The title of this message is A Prayer for Boldness. The title of the message is A Prayer for Boldness. Acts 4, 23. And let's, let's look at God's word together, shall we? This is living water. This is what we need. This is God's food for us. We, we would die without this. So, a prayer for boldness, Acts 4.23. When they were released, they being Peter and John, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and now he's going to quote Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed That's the end of the quote from Psalm 2, 1 and 2. And now back to what occurred in this prayer meeting. Verse 27. For truly in this city, that would be the city of Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and, this is a surprising one, the peoples of Israel. That was a breathtaking statement there. Never had the peoples of Israel be gathered together with their sworn enemies. But they did this time. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Verse 29, and here's their prayer. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Father, help me to speak your word with boldness and help my friends to hear your word with clarity. In Jesus' name, amen. Sean and Denise Worley have been members at this church for, I think, 15 years. Sean, I apologize ahead of time. I was going to ask you if I could, for your permission. And I'm now, 50, I'm now 56, and, and I walked in here, I thought, there's one more person I've got to speak to today, and I couldn't remember who it was. It's you. So you're hearing it now. They've been members of this church for, I think, 15, 16 years. I remember them coming to the, one of the first church services in our home. And their son, Kalen, I think, was about two or three at that time. My son, Joey, was two or three at the time. And Kalen and Joey have grown up together as dear friends. As I saw in a recent Facebook post by my son, he says, always on opposite teams, but always remain the closest of friends. And they have. Over the years, they've competed together. Uh, I'll never forget when they were like three. We used to meet over at Miami Lakes Elementary School. And uh, someone came up to me after the service and said, Pastor, yeah, Pastor, yeah. Listen, um, I thought you would want to know that your son and another boy are throwing rocks at the cars driving by on Ludlam Road. <laughs> now, fortunately, Kaylin and Joey were three. So the rocks never even got past the, the sidewalk. 
Well, they've grown up, and my son's now attending university here at Nova Southeastern, and Kaylin is attending university at Florida State. And, uh, uh-oh. <laughs> Get control here, folks. Um, and uh, a couple of weekends ago, Sean and Denise went up for a parents' weekend to Florida State. And uh, so I said, hey, Sean, how's it going? Florida State was playing Boston College in a big football game. And Sean's, here's, here was Sean's text back to me. I said, hey, Sean, how's it going? You're, you're at the game with your son. I know you love football. And Sean texted me this. He said, amazing atmosphere. Now I know what true fans are like. Now I know what true fans are like. So, what happens when true fans gather Well, as Sean noted, it's like a huge party. For those of you that are 50, it's like Woodstock. (laughs) It's like like, the the fair here uh, in Miami-Dade. It's it's like the Gaiocho celebration of a million people with food stands and music and partying and all the excesses that go there in every week that there's a home game at major universities across America. I think that stadium probably holds 85,000. The campus, there's about 40,000 students. And it's just one big party. It's crazy. It's wild. That's what happens when true fans gather. What does this have to do with the sermon today? Well, I believe what we have here is what happens when true believers gather. What happens when true believers gather? You see, what we have here is we have the continuation of the contrast, the conflict even, between the old system, the temple, the temple authorities, the chief priests and the elders, and the new system or the new covenant, Jesus, who has replaced the the temple as the center of Jewish life, and his People, the true believers, and their leaders. So you've got to see that. That's the context here. The Spirit has been given. The Gospel has been preached. There are 3,000 converts after Pentecost. I think another 2,000 were added, so that now there's 5,000 after this miracle of a lame beggar being healed. And there's this contrast between the old covenant, the old people of God, Israel, and the temple, and the new covenant, the true believers, the true people of God, who Jesus now replaces the temple. This is where you meet with God. This is where God forgives your sins. This is where your prayers are heard. It's no longer this temple that's right here. And the new people of God are no longer ethnic Israel, but including Israel. In fact, the new Christians were all Jewish but they're in Christ with new leaders, not the chief priests and the elders, but apostles, unlearned fishermen who just last week we heard stood before the Sanhedrin and boldly preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so these next two sermons you're going to hear are what happens when true believers gather? What does it look like? And we got to understand that because guess what? That's what should happen when we gather if we're true believers. The first century true believers behaved this way when they gathered. And we need to see that 
That's how we should behave when we gather. What happens when true believers gather? Point one, they cry out to their sovereign Lord. They cry out to their sovereign Lord. Now, I want to remind you in this. Look back at verse 23. When they, who's the they? Peter and John were released. Released from what? A quasi-prison experience. They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. What a contrast. Old, new. Old leaders, new leaders. Old temple, Jesus is the temple. Old authority, new authority. Jesus, the name of Jesus that healed the lame beggar. And this group over here, the old temple, the old authority, threatened the new and said, stop speaking in the name of Jesus. And so they're coming back from that meeting. And they're gathering with the true believers. True believers who are gathered together in an atmosphere of conflict, opposition, and threats. Circumstances that are difficult. Hey guys, that's us. We're we're in environments oftentimes, aren't we? where we feel threatened, maybe our way of life, maybe our peace, maybe our tranquility, our friendships. We're feeling opposition. Just like them. So what goes on? What happens when true believers gather? They cry out to their sovereign God. Listen, they were in big trouble with the authorities. The authorities that had killed Jesus had the power to judge them and hurt them badly. And they cried out to him. They cried out to him. Again, look at verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. Verse 24. And when they heard it, now the they being the church. It's not just the apostles now. It's all the disciples. It's the church gathering. When they heard it, they, corporately, lifted their voices together to God and they said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So they they cry out to their sovereign Lord. This term, sovereign Lord, is the term despotes in the Greek. And it's used, it has a range of meaning, but, but, but the meaning is, is, is one, a ruler of unchallenged power. This, 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 is, this, is, this is one, as it says here, who's the creator and sustainer of all. See, when, when we're in a world like we are today, where we are threatened, where we're opposed, where our way of life perhaps is being threatened, where, where it's difficult and things are tough and... and, and, and We're tempted to fear and despair, and and we all know what that's like, don't we? The first thing we do when we gather as believers is that we cry out to our sovereign Lord. The one who created everything, the one who sustains everything. Don't you realize that's what we did just now? If you paid attention to the songs that we sang, we were crying out to our sovereign Lord. We, what are they doing here? They're reminding themselves, hey, you, sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth, 
Why did they, why did they start there? Because they're reminding themselves, the chief priests and the elders who could kill us didn't make the heaven and the earth. You who made everything in them. It's to you that we're crying out. You're our sovereign Lord. This was the basis for their confidence to pray, which they're going to in a moment. It, it was a confidence in God's ability to help his people when they are oppressed. It, it, it's confidence. It's incentive for bold prayers. I love what John Stott states so well in his commentary. It informs them that the edicts of men, the council of chief priests and elders, cannot overturn the decrees of God. That's a good one to write down. If you don't like the word edicts because it's old-fashioned, use your own word. The plans of men, the decisions of men, the opinions of a thousand radio talk show hosts, the opinions of a million attorneys, the opinions of a million people at work, what man says should be can never overturn what God says will be. I need that today a lot. Because I've been hearing some real junk. Maybe you have too. Tranquilo. Relax. I don't know how Peter and John came in. I don't know if they came in all freaked out. I don't think so. But even if they're not all freaked out, I mean, they just came in and said, the guys that could kill us said, stop preaching in Jesus' name. And we told them, hmm, we're not going to do it. And then we preached to them in Jesus' name. <laughs> Let's imagine. Like, you did what? And God's saying, tranquilo. I, I got this one. Their edicts cannot overturn my decrees. And my decrees are, Jesus, his name is above all names. Jesus, he's the new center of your life. Jesus, he displaces the temple. It's no longer central. Jesus, he's the new power. Jesus, he's the new authority. And then they did, a, they did an interesting thing. Look at verse 25. <clears throat> Look what they do. They quote the Old Testament. Now, I don't know who prayed this. I, I could just imagine it's like our prayer meetings where we're all gathered together and someone would just stand up and, and, and start reading the scriptures. Yeah, it just, I don't know, maybe the Lord brought it to their minds. They read it in their quiet times. But they quote Psalm 2, verses 1 to 2. Now, I would commend to your study Psalm 2 today, tomorrow, this week. Because Psalm 2, let me set this up for you. Psalm 2 sets up a conflict between God and his anointed. We get the word Christos in the Greek from that anointed word, one who's anointed. It's the Messiah. It's the conflict between God and his anointed and all the nations and all the peoples who are gathered and conspire against him. And if you read the whole psalm, which here we just have two verses, God laughs at them in derision. I mean, I, they may have read the whole psalm, and we only receive verses one and two here, but it's a psalm designed to calm 
hearts that could be a little freaked out by hearing the news they just heard from John, Peter and John. It's a psalm that tells them, listen, the conflict you're in, you're right in the center of it because you have associated yourself with Jesus, actually Jesus called you, is a conflict that began hundreds, thousands of years ago. It's a conflict, it's a fight that I picked. And they're against you because you're with Jesus. Ultimately, they're against Jesus. It's not personal. It can feel personal. It's not personal. It's not against you personally. It's against me, but you're with me, so you're, it's against you. That helps them. <sighs> okay, so this is, what they, this is what they read. Verse 25. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. What does that verse right there tell you about Holy Scripture? It's inspired by God. Do you see that? If anybody ever asks you, where does the Bible say that the Bible is the Bible? Well, right there. Because it's saying that David, writing Psalm 2, spoke by the Holy Spirit, or wrote by the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's a good one. This is what he wrote. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now, they're going to interpret that by the Holy Spirit. Verse 27. For truly, in this city, Jerusalem... There were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. So they're reminding themselves, Jesus is the holy servant. He is the one. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. It's a new day. It's the messianic age has come. It's the last days. Look, all these people united, gathered together against your holy servant, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, and the peoples of Israel. Now that was shocking. So the chief priests and the elders who thought themselves God's people actually aligned themselves with Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles against God's anointed. And it was the fulfillment of Psalm 2. So God is saying to his disciples who are a little bit panicky in this upper room right now, wherever they are, I predicted this would happen and it's happening. Now, honestly, that would help me a little bit. <laughs> but that's like saying, I predicted World War III, and you're right in the middle of it, but don't worry, I predicted it. You're right where you're supposed to be. But I could die here. <laughs> yes, you could. And it would be my will. What a glorious death. As John Patton would say, I could either be eaten by worms or eaten by the cannibals. Either way, I'm going to die. And the glory is in the next life. If you didn't hear that sermon, definitely listen to it. It was last week's. So what's happening here? They cry out to their sovereign Lord. Why? So that God would give them confidence. He would give them confidence. He would give them confidence. Here is the confidence. He's giving them a prophetic view of history. He is giving them the prophetic view from David, written a thousand years before this occurred, three thousand years from this date. He's telling them that the destiny of nations is determined by the response to the God of Israel and his son. Are you for him or against him? And your destiny is determined by your response to the son of God. 
Read Psalm 2. Powerful Psalm. How you respond to the Son determines your destiny. And then they, they pray this amazing thing. Verse 28. These guys all gathered together, verse 27. Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. They gathered together to plot their plot. They thought they were so smart. Each one had their own political agenda, their own selfishly ambitious agenda for why Jesus had to die And they thought it was their plan. But listen, listen. God rules the nations. God uses the most powerful rulers of this world as if they were puppets because they are in his hand. God is in control. Look at verse 28. What did they gather together to do? Their own plan? Oh, no, sir. They gathered together to do whatever your hand, and that word hand there can also be translated power. It's translated hand. The Greek word there has a range of meaning. Hand is one of the ways you can translate or power. What your hand or your power and your plan had predestined to take place. So friends, if you, like me right now, are in a maelstorm, I mean, I'm feeling the threats around me right now in some areas of my life. I'm feeling the opposition around me. I, 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 things are happening that I'm thinking, this is evil. This is evil. My temptation, I know this would shock you, is not so much to fear, it's just to anger. We just want to beat people. (laughs) I know that shocks you. But maybe your temptation is fear. They're both wrong. You understand what I'm saying? Because God says, tranquilo, Al. What's happening is what my hand, my power, and my plan predestined to happen. Now, I know that opens up a whole nother set of questions. Why would you allow evil to happen? We can talk about that later. Corey will answer all those questions for you when he gets back from his sabbatical. But what it does for me is it enables me to say, oh God, you're in charge. As John Patton said, I am immortal until God's purposes for me on this earth are through. Others have said, nothing can happen to you that God does not allow. Now I realize that opens another set of doors that we've got to go through, but you're in God's hands, not the hands of your boss or that relationship or that person or that economy, or that leader, or that country. I forget the guy's name, because I'm 56 now, but the guy who wrote the commentary that I just read said the following. (laughs) Sorry, guy. God is able to carry out his plan, his purpose, even through rebellious human beings who do not accept his revealed will. I'll get you that quote. I'll I'll give it to Chris when we post this. God is able to carry out his plan, his purpose, even through rebellious human beings who do not accept his revealed will. He goes on to say this. 
God wins by letting our opponents win and then transforming the results. That is, a, that is like way cool. God wins by letting our opponents win and then transforming the results. So don't, don't, don't win the battle and lose the war. That, that's my temptation in my life in the past. I will exert my authority and just go, go kill them all, you know. And God's saying, no, you won't. Because that's not my plan. But Lord, short term, this isn't good for me or the church or my family. This isn't right. He, and he, of course, the famous words that I need to hear all the time are, tranquilo. That's right. Tranquilo, Bobby. Okay. So what happens when true believers gather? They cry out to their sovereign Lord. Two, what happens when true believers gather? They pray kingdom prayers. Look at what they prayed. Verse 29. And now, Lord, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Verse 30. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They pray Three things, if you're taking notes. They pray three things. First thing they pray is, Lord, take note of their threats. Now, notice that they they, they did not ask, Lord, stop their threats. That's what I would be praying. (laughs) Nor did they pray, Lord, kill them. Actually, I think I'd pray the second one too. (laughs) Stop their threats and kill them publicly so everybody will know they're wrong, we're right. Didn't do that. They said, Lord, take note of their threats. Now, it sounds funny to ask God to note something that he's already aware of because he's God. But I believe what he's talking about there is that that as his people, God wants us to pray about things and for things that he already has planned in his sovereign will. Remember, nothing happens except for by his hand or power and his plan. But he wants us as his people to ask for things that he's already going to give us. The Psalms are filled with that. People arguing with God, reminding God of his word as if he needed to be reminded. But it's called relationship. When my little grandson Samuel comes over, in fact, he did it this morning. It was hilarious. His little puffy cheeks. And and Joey was playing the drums, my son. And Samuel loves the drums. He just walks up, he goes, drums, drums, Joey, drums, drums, drums. And what he wants, he wants to come in here and play the drums. And so we have some drums set up at home. And I know, as soon as he walks in the door, I I beat him. You know, I I know that's what he wants. I know that he's going to do it. And sometimes I do beat him to the punch. But I I, I love it when he asks me. I am going to let him play the drums. I already thought about it before he even walked in the door. But I love to hear, because he's my grandson. And I love to say, yeah, you, yeah. Pick him up and we play the drums. That's how it is with God. So, Lord, take note of their threats. Second thing they pray is this. Enable us to speak your word with boldness, Lord. Instead of praying, kill those chief priests and elders, catch this. They say, Lord, let us keep speaking your word because we are a little tempted to pull back a little bit on the message since they could kill us because these same guys killed Jesus about a month and a half ago. And we're preaching in his name and they already told us to stop. But listen, but Lord... 
Help us to keep speaking in the word because how will they be saved without the word? I mean, they're praying kingdom prayers against the people that are threatening them to stop speaking in the very name that these people need to hear to be saved. They just don't know it yet. They think they're the true Israel. They think they're the true believers. But when true believers gather, they, 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 they cry out to their, to their sovereign Lord and they pray kingdom prayers, which are totally upside down from what the world thinks. The world says you curse those that curse you. Okay, for those of you who, who maybe didn't hear me, let me just be illustrated. You, you give the finger to the guy that just gave you the finger on the palmetto. Is that street level enough for you? You cut the guy off to cut you off. I know none of you are tempted with any of this. You, you, you are rude back to the person that won't give you what you want when you're going to do whatever it is you're going to do. And kingdom prayers have kingdom purposes, and they say, no, oh God, these men want to kill us, but give me the courage to keep preaching the very word they told me to stop preaching so that they would be saved. And the third thing that they prayed is that God would stretch out his hand while they speak his word with all boldness to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of God's holy servant. What are they praying for? They're praying for courage to preach Jesus. They're praying that God's kingdom message would come. Do you remember what the kingdom message was? When John the Baptist asked Jesus, are you the one? Do you remember what Jesus said to him? He said this, tell John the Baptist, what you have seen. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. The kingdom of God has come. So they're praying for power. They're praying to be enabled to keep preaching this word that they've been told to stop preaching. And what happens? Well, the third thing that happens when true believers gather is this. God answers their kingdom prayers. God answers their kingdom prayers. Look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So three things that they prayed... Lord, take note of their threats because it's their father. They're relating to their father. It, it is a concern to them. Lord, give us, give us this, this power to continue to speak your word with all boldness and then stretch forth your hand, your hand, your power, the kingdom, your redemptive plan, the kingdom of God. Stretch it forth and heal and save and, and, and deliver. This is the kingdom has come. These are signs of the kingdom coming. And now God answers their kingdom prayer and he does three things. In verse 31. Number one, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Was shaken. Was shaken. John Stott, again in his commentary, quoting Chrysostom. Chrysostom was an apostolic father, so he was kind of the next generation after the apostles. 
He was a wonderful speaker. He said this, the place was shaken and that made them the more unshaken. See, friends, when God shakes you, no man can shake you. When you're shaken by God, you are unshakable by this world. Have you been shaken by God? When you stand before a holy God and your knees tremble and you realize what you deserve and you're like Isaiah and you say, God, don't kill me. And God takes that coal from the altar, as it were, symbolizing Christ's work, and he touches your lips, your nasty lips, your cursing lips, your lying lips, your lips that, that, that don't even want God, and changes them in your heart. And you then realize, I've been saved from the wrath of God. You will never shake before man again. And when you do, you've forgotten the former. I think of what Bentley said last week when he quoted Acts 4, 19 and 20. Remember Acts 4, 19 and 20? It's when Peter and John are standing in that pit up above them or all the Sanhedrin, 70 of them at least. They had just killed Jesus a couple of months earlier. They're basically telling them, back off. And then listen to what Peter and John said. Whether it is right in the sight of God, Acts 4, 19, to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. When we are filled with God himself, we are shaken. And it makes us unshakable in this world. And we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard of the risen Christ. Have you seen and heard him? I've seen this kind of transformation happen in people's lives here at Palm Vista a lot. But the most recent and perhaps the most memorable one is the transformation I've seen in some of our youth who have been shaken by God and have seen and heard the risen Christ and now cannot but speak of what they have seen and heard. I had the privilege of leading the Broward Community Group last Wednesday night as Alan Cook and family were all sick and Raphael was traveling And as I led the discussion, we were talking about the last couple of sermons from Acts 3 and 4. Uh, It was a wonderfully encouraging night for me. As I observed among other teens, and she wasn't alone, Amber Sedano, worshiping God with all her heart. It was for reals. She wasn't just there because mom and dad said, you got to be there. She was leaning forward, going after God. And then listening to her and others, others of the youth participating in the discussion with meaningful and cogent comments. And I understand, I've heard from Corey that several youth, uh, as David and, and Mindy have worked with them, have on their own, and I know this is many other youth, and Amber would represent many, have initiated on their own evangelism training with a desire to go out and speak God's word with all boldness because they cannot but speak of what they have seen and heard. Praise God, friends. May we experience the same and follow their lead. See, evangelism isn't shoving a bunch of reluctant people you know, out of the door you know, of the plane because they're going to go do parachuting. Which I did. And if you refused at the door, you got busted out of that. 
No, no. Evangelism is seeing that door. He's like, why? Because I'm a crazy adventure seeker? No. Because I've seen him. I've heard him. I've shaken in his presence. And now nothing on this earth can shake me. Oh, church. We need this. This isn't man-made. This isn't a program. This is God. This is God doing what he said he was going to do in Acts 1.8. When Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. The witnesses of Jesus in Jerusalem. They're doing it in front of that Sanhedrin. And all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the world. God's people receiving power as, as God the Father. God the Son sends God the Holy Spirit. He comes upon us and he fills us afresh. That's what happened in verse 31. And the result is that we continue to speak the word of God, Christ, with boldness. And that's the third thing that happens. The last line in verse 31, they continue to speak the word of God with boldness. And that's God's burden for us today, friends, that we would continue to speak the word of God that our first century brothers began to speak. And today in the 21st century, we continue to speak it. Because Jesus' name alone can save. So what does it look like when true believers gather? That's what it looks like. It looks like crying out to their sovereign Lord. It looks like praying kingdom prayers. And then it looks like having faith that God answers those kingdom prayers. What a prayer. God shake us. God fill us. Oh, friends. May God shake you and fill you so that you, like my friends in the Aikido class, would continue to speak God's word with boldness. You see, you can be tempted to think, I'm not John, I'm not Peter, I'm not even part of that first group of disciples. I, I, I'm just a normal, average person in Miami. I'm just trying to make it to church on Sunday, to be honest with you. And it's a little bonus round if I go Wednesday, you know, in community group every once in a while. No, 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 that's not who you are. You, you are in the line of God's true believers. And when we gather, when we gather, we pray and God fills us and we speak his word boldly as this group did. Let me just share with you the story as I close. Sergio and I were talking the other night and he was telling me about this Aikido class that he leads because it's an interest of his. And that's one of the things we're trying to do in our community groups. Find the interest, the rhythms of life that you're already in. And then in those rhythms of life, you speak the word of God boldly. So he teaches this class on Tuesday and Thursday. My son-in-law goes and he tells me, he's a pretty fit guy. He tells me, it's a workout, man. It's a workout. And it gives Sergio a chance to beat up on people. So it's a win-win for everybody. But recently, one of his students, a father and a son, who are not believers, missed several classes. And so Sergio called them. Do you see that right there? And asked, is everything okay? So we're aware. The smaller community, a Christ-centered community, the gathering of true believers, what do they do? They pray, let us speak your word with boldness, and then they're aware of opportunities in the broader community they live in to speak that word. And so Sergio said, let me call and find out, is everything okay? The father, when he called them, the father was right at that moment on his way to the hospital to console a karate student 
who had been diagnosed with leukemia. So the Aikido class and the karate class, they use the same facilities. And one class and then the next class starts. And so they're friends, these folks. They're all, they see each other every Tuesday and Thursday. They've become friends. And and so on the phone, the father asked Sergio and the, and listen, quote, the other guys from the church. So he's not a believer, but he knows what's happening. He sees the smaller Christ-centered community at Aikido, even though Sergio's throwing them around, you know, but they're different. They fall differently. I don't know. (laughs) But he knows there's something different here. And he says, listen, you and those other guys from the church, would you pray for the parents and this young man? I'm going there. And then two weeks later, Sergio was asked by the karate teacher to come into the karate class and lead them in a prayer for this boy. And, and there's all these customs in these, in these martial arts. And, and Sergio did a great job of, of bridging the two and being clear. Jesus is the name above all names. Can you do that? I'm not talking about Aikido and karate. Can you find your rhythm of life, the thing you like to do, the people you hang out with, the, the context that God's given you to speak boldly? That's what this message is about today. May the Lord reveal to you, my friends, his power and fill you afresh and shake you that you would speak his word boldly. Let us pray. Worship team, please come up. Father, I pray right now. I'm the first in line, Lord. Lord, note the threats against us and me. And Father, I trust you that everything that is happening is predestined by your hand, your power, and your plan. And nothing can happen that you do not allow to happen. And Lord, I pray now. Oh, Father, God, I pray, dear Lord, that that you would enable, you would grant your servants, grant me, Lord, to continue to speak your word, the word that Peter and John spoke in the first century, today in the 21st century, in my areas, in the rhythms of my life, the people I meet, the places I go to shop, with all boldness, Lord. And I pray that you'd stretch out your hand, your power to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That you would save folks, Lord. Lord, you'd bring redemption. Lord, you would bring wholeness to broken lives, broken families, a broken city, oh God. Lord, shake us. For when you move, our lives are changed. Our lives are changed. We can't change them ourselves. Oh Lord, come reveal your love, I pray. This love that's poured out from Calvary like a flood. Fill us. Would you quietly stand to your feet and let's pray in song? Because we are the true believers. And we are gathered. Let's sing together this prayer when you move.